Hello, everyone. This is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Thursday, April 11th, 2019. And we're going to do something a bit different again today on today's podcast. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough in my career to, to work with a lot of very talented people. And what I thought I would do for today's podcast is kind of reach into my uh, bag of tricks and speak to someone who I know very, very well, who did a lot of work uh, with me at Sling Media uh, when I was CMO there of the popular Slingbox um, line of um, products. And uh, that person is Jason Kelly. Uh, Jason is the uh, principal of a uh, terrific, um, what I like to call boutique marketing agency. He may not like that term, and we'll, mm -hmm. I'll give him an opportunity to uh, clarify, <laughs> clarify that, but I think it's a great term because they work very closely with the clients that they do have. They're based in San Francisco, and uh, what I want to talk a little bit about uh, during today's um, podcast is some of the behind scenes marketing activity that goes on in terms of the way you bring a product to market, the messaging, the value proposition, demand generation, some of the stuff that the average consumer doesn't see. So with that kind of lofty introduction, let me introduce Jason. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, good sir. Nice to be with you. Hey, Jason, hey. Tell, before we jump into this, tell me about your background because you have an intriguing background. And um, I'd like the, you know, the audience to get a kind of a flavor for that. Okay. Um, and, and thanks for the good introduction. The check is, check is in the mail there. So <laughs> my background is the following. I have never taken a single course in marketing or advertising. I actually um, uh, went to school to become a priest. That didn't quite work out. And then I went to, uh, I thought I was going to be the next great university president until I realized that a... Uh, upwardly mobile young person um, and and the nonprofit world at that time probably wasn't the best fit. So I, through a, a weird circumstance, I, I found myself working at a company called Microsoft for um, when it was still Microsoft.com before it even became MSN. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it was awesome. I just, my very first day at Microsoft, I realized I absolutely loved everything to do with advertising and marketing and sales. I just, I just loved it, and uh, probably had a once in a lifetime. I, I know it was once in a lifetime opportunity to work for such an amazing company and learned a tremendous amount of both business skills and life skills around um, around this crazy world that we all self-select ourselves to be a part of for uh, nearly five years. I mm -hmm. uh, was transferred down here to San Francisco, and uh, after I left Microsoft, I did the, the crazy world of dot-com, which was uh, awesome and, uh, and, and will probably never happen again. And, um, and then I joined up with one firm in San Francisco called Real Branding, where I grew that marketing practice uh, quite a bit, and then I uh, became managing director of a different firm in San Francisco um, called Questus, and I grew that quite a bit. And I thought, you know, I've done this for two other companies. Let me see if I can do it myself. And during the heart of the recession in 09, um, I, uh, I launched my own firm around my dining room table um, with people who had worked for me for many, many years. Uh, and I was very honored by that. Um, and we started Odom. And uh, my first client was eHarmony. And it just kind of went from there. Yeah, so that's really interesting stuff, uh, Jason. And uh, eHarmony yeah. obviously is a very, very popular brand. But talk to me a little bit about 
the brands you've worked with. I mean, Sling Media was one of the more, mm-hmm. you know, uh, was one of the more kind of highly visible brands. But you've worked on a, a number of uh, at the firm you founded. And, I, and I, by the way, I give you lots of credit for being that brave to starting a brand new company in the middle of the recession. That was yeah. that that that's a lot. There's a lot of um, entrepreneurial courage there, but it's obviously paid off. But but tell me a bit about some of the brands you've worked on and some of the products in the consumer area that you've uh, that Odom has been involved in. Yeah, so just at Odom, you know, we've had the good fortune of being able to work on a lot of awesome brands. So obviously the the different uh, sling media brands, which are uh, all great, but also uh, brands like Method Home, um, which mm-hmm. a lot of people know about the the, the soaps and, and cleaning products. It's an amazing brand here. Parrot, which is uh, headphones and uh, and the drones. 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 Yeah, right. yeah. It also just an amazing brand. Um, and, uh, and then other products, like we, we've done a little work for Roku, a little work for, um, uh, uh, Microsoft and on a, on a one project basis. Um, but then we've done a lot of really great consumer work with, um, uh, some liquor brands, some Diageo brands and some others. So it's been, um, it's just sort of run the gamut. Um, of course, eHarmony and then a lot of tech brands. So, um, mm. we've had the good fortune of helping PK Wear, for example, launch a brand, um, and create a new product with them, which is one of the things we love doing. Um, work with a company, um, a local marketing tech company on basically how to, you know, um, how to launch a brand and then launch their brand from soup to nuts. So, from full ideation through uh, even through the sales enablement strategies called um, Vivo, um, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, so we've had this really great opportunity to work on a lot of you know fantastic brands. Now t- tell me, and you're not going to hurt my feelings if we no. if you if you um, if we get if this gets a bit. Uh, you know, uh, a bit uh, deep dive-ish, but you know, when you're sitting down with a brand new company mm-hmm. and you work with a lot of startups, a lot of startups yep. obviously don't have, you know, t- uh, tens of millions of dollars of demand generation. Yeah, you know, and, 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 you know, one of the things that separate, you know, your agency from other agencies is that you're also very much involved in branding, you know, not yeah. just, hey, here's an existing brand, let's go out and, you know, and, and message and market the hell out of mm-hmm. it. But, you know, you sit down with companies and actually help them develop a brand because it's a, it's right. a lot it's a lot tougher than it sounds like to the average mm-hmm. consumer. What are the kind of fundamental questions that you like to pose to a new company when you're sitting down with them in terms of here are the things you ought to be thinking about mm-hmm. when you're bringing a brand to market and you're bringing a new product to market? Yeah. So one of the things that I have found is um, it is very difficult for someone who, uh, you know, I'll just bring myself. It's very difficult for me to separate at the beginning who I am as a person versus the company that I started. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that I am my company and my company has nothing to do with me all at the same time. Uh Um, And so when I work with a new a new client who specifically has a new brand, or you know somewhere you know maybe they've launched it but they haven't really started actively talking to consumers. It is it's not about you. It's about that person that you're selling to. Who mm-hmm. are they? What are those need states? Both from a, and this gets kind of weedy from a cognitive and emotive place about why they would select your brand. It's not mm-hmm. about it's not about what you think. It's about what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the first pause that I get from a lot of um, customers. And again, this happened with, with you folks at Sling, right? Which is, 
I know that y- you may think that this is your consumer, but w- but why is that? And and how did you get there? And 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 let's really think about that piece because at the end of the day, if you don't understand who that person is that you're marketing to, what their need states are, the mindset that they're going to be in to most app, you know, even listening to your message, then I don't know how you even create a marketing campaign, let alone all the other pieces that go around a marketing campaign to talk to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and with knowing who that end consumer is, um, then then you can make more better you, know, you can make better more informed decisions on how to market to that to that group of people. Right. And that's usually the first exercise that I, I have us walk through um, with a company of any size, but especially those that are starting out, because almost inevitably the per- the people that are starting out or relatively starting out, even if they've been out for one, two, three, four years, they're, they're sometimes, and it's impossible not to be, you're a little, you, you believe you, you know who you're talking to because oftentimes you're talking to the same type of person that you are. Right. And that's almost always the worst type of person to talk to, right? We're right. always... I always believe in what I have to say, but I'm yeah, sure. like the worst person that should ever listen to my own advice sometimes. So, um, so, so, so it's really important to kind of get that, get that owner to separate or him or herself from, from their product and who they are. And, and that's really hard. And I, and I, and I will Super say, I, I will say because of the, the, of the involvement I've been in, you know, with, in this new role for the last, um, you know, a couple of years or so is that, you know, I, I talk to so many different clients and there's so many cool things going on in the Valley from a consumer technology and oh smart God. home yep. standpoint. It's, it's, it's like, uh, I feel like it's Toys R Us for adults. Right, it's like, awesome. You know, it's awesome. But let's face it, I mean, a lot of the startups in the area in, in Silicon Valley, even some of the great ones that are now, you know, publicly traded companies that are mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of billions of dollars, mm-hmm. you know, those companies, frankly, were started up by engineers and product people. Yep. And they, and they have a point of view. They think mm-hmm. the pro, you know they think you know the product will sell itself. Mm-hmm. They you know they believe in. I think you and I have talked about this before. In the uh, field of dreams, marketing approach is build something, and people will not you know will naturally come right. to it. And that's really hard, you know. And 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 you know, I, I think we all do it. You know, we, you know, when I've been in positions of um, you know fairly wide marketing responsibility, you know, you can't help but you know take your own personal experiences and values. Mm-hmm. And kind of you know place them on top of what you think the mainstream consumer might value. And uh, right. now there's been a lot of products that come to market that you say to yourself, "How the hell mm-hmm. did that come to market?" You know, or like for an example, you use the Slingbox example. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first got there, you know, really all the messaging around Slingbox was really around the technical genius and right. the technology piece of that. And, you know, when we, you know, you uh, got involved with us, I mean, the, 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 epif- uh, the epiphany that we, I think we came to is that the reason why someone buys a sling box, it's all, it's all about freedom. It's all about, yeah. hey, I can travel all around the world, all around the country, and I can take my television experience with me. And there's an enjoyment factor for that. They could care mm-hmm. less, frankly, that, you know, it uses 802.11 and AC for wireless and, mm-hmm. you know, it's got a transcoder built into it. Not to say that people don't care about the technology features of, of a product, but it's really the, the, uh, the joys and benefits, frankly, that that product brings to them. So that's a very, very important point. You know, that's, yeah, that's very... it's interesting. Um, this, you know, this actually just happened um... – it's a little painful, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll talk about it. We had a client here, um, and 
this client built an amazing um, in-home uh, piece of equipment for um, exercising it for the in-home. And um, the owner who created it um, is is a tech person. And he, the features and the technology that he built into the system is is awesome. It is mm-hmm. absolutely. I don't. I'm unclear how his mind actually was able to do it. <laughs> the difficulty that he's that he has, and it's not him as a person, but I understand is understanding that people don't buy um, consumer electronics or really any product because of the feature being feature led. They mm-hmm. buy um, uh, the feature. Lead is how you get investment money. It's how you get um, proof of concept. It's how you get uh, your patents. It's how you get people excited about to come work for you. It's difficult to move your brand from being feature led to being feature supported. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that, to your point with Slingbox, um, nobody gave ten poops that um, that it ran on whatever cable connection. Mm-hmm. They just did it. What they cared about is that, oh, I can be in the garage doing my honeydew list and also watching the game at the same time. Right. And and then what happens is that then you use those features as a way to delight that customer to get them to come back over and over and over again. Because the worst thing that can happen is they love it, they get it, they use it once and they never touch it again. You need those people to help champion your brand for the next round of a consumer wave that uh, of consumption. Right. So, so it is how to utilize those really great technical features to help basically um, empower the people who've already purchased your brand or already believe in your brand to get them to come back because they're the ones that are actually going to talk about all the cool features about it. Um, but they're going to be leading with that emotional piece, which is I bought this product because it did X, Y, or Z for me. Mm-hmm. No one's ever said I bought a product because of the HDMI connection. No one's ever said that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe one person has, but not that. Not was pro- that was probably me. I'm, just, I'm, probably, a te- yes. I'm, a te- I'm a technical geek. Yeah. So, yeah. no, the, 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 I mean, again, I think that you, you can't talk enough about it. Uh, because so many companies out there have promising products, and again, they kind of go down the feature-led yeah. orientation because that's who we are. I mean, in fact, you know, I, I, I think what was you know wonderful about working with you guys is that um, every time we would do a focus group or we did research, and you know, and and, and, and by the way, good companies do research, know how, yeah. how know how large they are to understand who their customer is. Is that <laughs> you? Well, it was kind of funny. You were always adamant. Let's do not test in San Francisco. If you test Don't in San Francisco, it. you're you know you're selling to a, a customer that does not exist across uh, nope. flyover America. And it's it's nope. very very well. It's it's a very uh, it's a very well taken point. Um, but let, let's shift gears a little bit about, yep. you know, as we go into kind of the, the, the work that you've been doing, mm. what are the kind of trends that you're seeing from a pure marketing tactics standpoint? Mm. I mean, you know, when you flash back, you know, 25 years ago or 30 or 40 years ago or 50 years ago, the Mad Men mm-hmm. era, you know, you really have many, you know, when you think about it, you really didn't have many vehicles for no. promoting and advertising your product. You had newspaper, you had billboards, you had TV came on and radio, but, you know, you didn't really have that many tools in your toolkit. You know, mm-hmm. for marketing your brand, and you know, we, you know, you flash forward to where we are today, and marketeers have tremendous 
assets at their disposal, whether it's you know, obviously social, uh, social media, you've got digital campaigns, influencer marketing is becoming a big deal. And I know you're a big fan of that. And we'll talk a little bit, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and, but the bigger issue, of course, is the noise, you know, cutting through all the noise. And, you know, and that's, you know, one of the, the number one topics that I hear from, from uh, CEOs of startups saying, hey, how do I, even with a small budget, you know, mm-hmm. how do I cut through all the noise and get my word out there? And it is possible without spending twenty-five million dollars. So let's oh, talk a little bit about what let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the marketplace and what kind of guidance you would give to those type of companies looking to get their word out. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's interesting, um, and I'll just speak from 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 my own perspective. Um, so one of the greatest things about marketing today is that we can measure everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the worst things about marketing today is that we can measure everything. <laughs> and what's happening, right, is that you have these amazing, amazing smart people that um, are looking at all these data points. And what ends up happening is that um, in marketing, and there's a part of marketing that we have to go beyond just an individual data point. We can't be held arrested to what an individual data point is telling us. We have to look at everything both at a micro level, but also more importantly, I think because of all the data points we can now track on a, on a macro level. And um, with that, what happens is that it actually frees you up to experiment more and play more and, and actually be more targeted and, and be a little bit more um, prescriptive in terms of your marketing campaign. So what we're finding is um, uh, it is very difficult now to market on a national level, um, more, more so today than probably at any other time, just because of um, the both complexity, but also from a cost point for a, a lot of um, relatively new companies or even mid-tier companies. Mm-hmm. What we're finding and what we've been encouraging people to take a look at is, um, and it's been working, is um, uh, after we go through the analysis of like, you know, who your consumer is and what type of mindset are they in and why would they even, you know, pay attention to us, like um, all that good stuff is, uh, you know, with that, you then understand, you know, what environments to market to. And what we're finding is um, a couple things. One, um, I'm going to call it, uh, yep, influencer marketing. A- absolutely. For some mm-hmm. brands, it is it is a, a gold mine to work in. What, what the importance with influencer marketing that we're finding is beyond just um, the numbers of followers, which I think in many cases isn't that interesting is the authentic um, spirit, the authentic spirit of that person. Is that person uh, who is going to talk about your brand? Do they frankly look and feel like your brand? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if, if you were to meet that person at a bar and they're representing, I don't know, a potato chip to you know the latest you know server, are they somebody that you really would believe is actually interested in that product? Are, are they actually somebody that if you struck up a conversation over beer, you would listen to them for five, 10, 15 minutes about uh, a potato chip or a server. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're not, then it doesn't make a difference how big their audience is um, uh, because they're not going to be able to convey your message. I look at a, um, you know, in, an influencer as the same way as I look at um, a magazine ad or a digital ad or an out-of-home piece of creative. 
do they convey, is, is my out-of-home piece of creative, that billboard, does it have all the right messaging, look, color, feel, texture? Does it bring my brand to life? I look at an influencer wondering, do you have the right feeling texture to help bring my brand to life? And, and I really do look at them at the exact same way. Influencer marketing is just another piece of marketing. Mm-hmm. And, and so I really look at it from that guise, and that helps um, that helps you know do some selection. Um, and uh, we use some tools and some things to help us with that. Right. What I also am seeing is brands really, I'm going to say, returning to a little bit of old school media, um, but mm-hmm. in new fun ways. Um, so you know, with the advent of digital out of home, I think that has really helped a lot of um, brands come to life in a in a different way, especially in urban environments. Um, the ability to uh, change message frequently, track the messages, um, do some really fun creative based on the time of day and even the weather that's happening outside. Uh, I think folks that are taking on that tactic. Um, uh, are, are seeing are we certainly some of our clients are seeing some really great returns on that um and so that's well, the thing. and, and let me jump in for a second yeah, yeah. You know, in, in fact there was a um you probably read about this is i it's either burger king or mcdonald's i think it was mcdonald's they they, well, they burger invested. King did this really cool execution of the fire mm-hmm. well what what i was referring to i oh. i thought it was mcdonald's I, th- I think they spent a couple hundred million dollars and they acquired a firm that does digital signage, you know, for their mm. menus in house, and yeah. uh, and during the time of day, the messaging on the menu itself would change based on the weather conditions. For example, yeah. if, if it's really uh, really cold, you know, you That's would see right. more expanded messaging on selling coffee. Makes a whole right. lot of sense. Um, but there's all you know variations of that technique but mm-hmm. that's just you know that's just a product of where we are you know in yeah. 2019 that we can connect the dots on 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 conditions that are going on in real time and connect them to a certain you know um you know almost uh custom marketing messages you know that's which right. is kind of interesting Again, it goes back to like how can you at an eye level really impact that or or, or be a part of that uh, consumer's current mindset right and right. what's happening for him or her Right. Um, and with ever with these digital out of home boards now, you can do all sorts of really fun um, advert games on them. And then again, anytime I can get a potential consumer to touch my brand, uh, even if it's while waiting for the bus, is a win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's some really fun ways of doing that. So that's what right. we're saying. We're also seeing a lot of I'm going to call it sort of um, uh, more unique placements. So you look at airline media has really taken off. Um, I, mm-hmm. I believe it is Emirates just released, um, no, excuse me if I'm wrong about it, but I think it's Emirates, uh, saw a 300% plus jump in uh, their airline revenue coming in from um, adver- advertising airline revenue, which is a massive piece of their business. Right. Um, and then you're seeing things like in bar and and what has been a lot of fun lately is see the um, in-gym uh, digital advertising that is happening both on the screen as someone's working out or um, mm-hmm. selected places throughout the, the gym itself. And again, uh, it's a fun place to connect with folks, especially those people that are in the mindset of um, wanting to be healthy, healthy mindset. Um, they, you know, they, they don't want to talk, think about work. They want to think about themselves for just a few moments. And this is a great way to connect um, people to brands in that environment. Right. So we're well, talking about yeah. Well, the other thing I think that's intriguing that's going on, and I know you'll have some thoughts on this, is that mm-hmm. you know for the last you know uh, 10, 15 years, 
or maybe call it 20 years, you know, the, 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 the world has gone through this um, Amazon phenomenon where everything right. seems to be selling direct. And, uh, right. you, know, you know, 20 years ago, people predicted the death of retail. They, they right. predicted the death of brick and mortar. And there's no question that the consumer technology retailer has transformed. There's been some consolidation mm -hmm. in many places. But retail still is a very powerful destination for many sure. customers who want to touch the product. So talk a little bit about how you connect digital marketing activities and some of the strategies that you've developed for your customers mm -hmm. and the way they go to market at retail. Because again, everybody seems, seems to think that everything has been a one-click world where you order everything right. from Amazon. Right. And that's right. obviously not exactly true. I'm not trying to put down Amazon because obviously yeah, no. they, they, they're, they've been a phenomenon, but retail continues to be important. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, I do find with retail, um, probably, and again, this is just my own personal experience. Um, I've never seen the relationship between retail and, and digital marketing being more tight than it is now. Mm -hmm. um, so, yep, you, you have things like um, with mobile technologies now, right? We can do geofencing and really help people um, influence their decision when they're around town or when they're in that aisle mm -hmm. um, in selected stores to help drive to purchase. What you're also seeing in retail is this growing phenomenon of showcasing, but I'm gonna call it almost reverse showcasing. So there are places in retail now that our people are showing certain product lines that may not necessarily be for sale in the store because they know that that consumer isn't necessarily, they don't wanna spend the, the, the valuable shelf space to, you know, to inventory um, a, a huge amount of expensive product or even mid-tier pricing product. What they mm -hmm. want to do is they want to showcase the product in a way that gets people to play or engage with it because they know that consumers are then going to go to an Amazon, to another outlet to actually purchase a product, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but they're trying to influence that decision while they're in store. They, they recognize that, yep, it'd be great if they can make the direct sale, but every square foot of retail space that they're giving up for inventory is a, is a square foot of retail space that they could be giving up to showcase at one of their other product lines. Mm -hmm. um, because some of these products, right, there's a little bit of a longer buying cycle. There's, is this really the right product for me? I don't really understand how this is used. I need to do some more research. I want to ask around about it. And it may be a much longer um, uh, purchase decision cycle than that retailer is willing to give up space for on shelf. So mm -hmm. by 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 utilizing some, I'm, again, I'm going to call showcasing some of the um, product that a consumer can actually go and play with and actually encouraging that person, go online, read our reviews, go to Amazon, read our reviews. You, it actually works in that retailer's favor. Um, and then a smart market will just do some uh, some solid geo-tracking on when that purchase is made and all that good stuff, um, where, where that sale is coming in from. So, right. um, or when the person registers, where, where did that person register from on the product? Mm -hmm. So. So I'm actually seeing retailers now, instead of feeling um, uh, scared of Amazon, knowing how can I how can I actually um, uh, work with Amazon? Because if I know that's where people are going to want to purchase their their product, I actually I need to make sure they actually know that my product is available. Right. And so they're being really selective on those types of products. Right. No, I, I could agree with you more. I mean, I think the 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 uh, relationship between retail 
and digital marketing, uh, or call it retail and Amazon, yep. just to use them as a blanket entity. I, mm -hmm. I, I think it's been it's been more symbiotic uh, than ever before. I think uh, so. You know, you know, because when you really think about it, Amazon's advantage used to be, you know, I can get that product in two or three days, or I can get it overnight. Of course, right. you, they, they now even have the capability same in some day. markets for delivering on the same day. Right. But the, the reality is, is that. Uh, that even the retailers have gotten really, really good at that. So if you go to right. into, into Best Buy and you want to buy a, a brand new TV set, I mean, chances are you're going to get it that day or the following day. That's right. You know? and, and there is no substitute for getting it, you know, getting it right away. So no. uh, I, 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 I couldn't um, couldn't agree with you more on that. And our and last, go ahead, go ahead, please. Having with Amazon, I'm sorry, Mark. One of the challenges that pe people are having with Amazon is that there isn't a way. Oftentimes, yes, there is a large percentage of people, a good percentage of people that will do, I'm going to call it walking the aisle of Amazon, right? They'll just look at different products. But most likely when you go to Amazon, you have an idea of what you're actually looking for. Right. One of the benefits of retail space is that you get to inform people on products that they weren't actually thinking about before. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's the importance of a strong retail presence for any brand. Who, who, yes, is selling product on Amazon because it's an amazing channel for them, but they have an opportunity to, in person, help engage with the, help engage and influence the decision cycle and purchase decision of that consumer on products that that consumer wasn't originally thinking about he or she were in the market for. Right. Yep. And well, and, you know, you know, let's face it. I mean, Amazon and this drives Amazon crazy is that, you know, Amazon has kind of morphed now into kind of a. Um, you know the the, the go-to search place. Even if you're not going to buy something 100%. from Amazon, you yeah. you'll do your research at Amazon, and then you'll buy it. Uh, you'll buy it at the retail. One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, with, with the last uh, two or three minutes, I um, mm. we, we, I have uh, during today's podcast, um, I want to really address the issue that I talked about about fifteen minutes ago, and that is about mm. this myth that a startup company has to have a, f a five hundred million dollar budget. I'm exaggerating, of course. You know, to really play. You know, with with uh, digital marketing campaigns and um, and oh, right. uh, yeah, so let, let's talk a little bit about that because I'm sure that budgets, because you work with a lot of startups yep. yourself, that is probably the first topic that comes up before you even talk about the product. You know, how much mm -hmm. do we have to spend? And yeah. I don't want to get into specific numbers, but let, let's talk a little bit about your philosophy and you know try to debunk that myth that you have to spend a humongous amount of money to you know get the digital marketing capability going. Yeah. Yeah, so it, you just don't. So um, the the first thing to think about are all of the, and I'm air quoting here, if you could see it via podcast, <laughs> all the all the free um, marketing tactics that you have, and and that you know for most brands that is their website, right? Is your website is it built friendly? Is it easy for people to navigate around? I know there's a question about now, how do you get people to your website? Mm -hmm. So that's where um, a really well vetted blog strategy, editorial calendar for um, a, a website, for a content site, or for any site for that matter, is really critical. Are you writing content that both your, again, your consumer is interested in? More importantly, or maybe as important, obviously, does it contain key SEO or SEO phrases, right? How can we generate as much of of the traffic where a buyer of a product is looking for a seller of a product, right? And that's why SEO, a blog strategy, is so critical. Mm -hmm. um, and every site should 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 have it. Um, there's the, 
beyond it just like the the um, the ability to drive people to your site via SEO, you give people um, information about who you are as a brand and, and all that other good stuff and where, where you sit in the marketplace. So um, because at the end of the day, all consumers, regardless of what what you're selling, um, people want to buy from a brand that they like. That's just mm-hmm. what we do. Um, and so it's important to give that 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 flavor to your to your this consumer. Mm-hmm. So um, and then there's other things to do just in terms of uh, look and feel your brand and a PR strategy, all that good stuff. So once those pieces are are flexed, you know what is then that social strategy? What is your organic social strategy? What can we do in terms of I'm going, I mean again I'm going to call it a free posting to get people to start looking at you in a different way or at least considering you. Then from there, then you start getting into the, the paid tactics. And you know, the, everybody's knee-jerk reaction is, well, I, I want to do search, um, paid mm-hmm. search. And paid search is, is clearly amazing way. Again, it's when you know, that, that buyer of a product is looking for a seller of a product. Um, based on your category, however, um, paid search may be a really, really expensive way of doing it. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at the actual numerics of not only cost per click, but your cost per thousand. And so you need to do some research to determine, is are you getting a better bang for your buck by doing paid search? Or are you getting a better bang for your buck by actually doing good old fashioned traditional display, either in mobile or on desktop, which if you're a B2B brand, um, you know, people are, are looking at, at, at your at your message, most likely in their offices, and most likely on a good old fashioned laptop or desktop computer. Mm-hmm. So, um, you need to do that that math basically to determine which of these tactics is is maybe the best used. One of the benefits of doing digital display again on mobile or desktop or de- a laptop is that you know the tonnage of impressions that you get just in terms of um, to help increase awareness of your brand. So even if you go out with a cost per click strategy, you get um, all of the, the the brand benefits of the tonnage of impressions that aren't clicked on. And, and that is something that has to be looked at as well. So with that, you then decide, well, do I want to go heavy in a one or two or three markets as opposed to going national? And even for a B2B brand or a, a, a B2C brand, for many people, it is for many brands. I really do encourage you to go bigger in a smaller amount of markets, so that your frequency of voice, your share of voice in that market, is as as big as it can be. You mm-hmm. want to cast your net out as wide as possible, but also as deep as possible. Right. And so that's why um, it's important to look at those. You know, I'm going to call it the non-sexy side. I find it sexy, but the non-sexy side of, of marketing, oftentimes, is you're acting more of a of a data scientist than anything else. Um, and, and so, so, you know, what is that? Um, and, and from then, then you can make other decisions around digital. Mm -hmm. Um, but in most cases it doesn't require, you know, uh, this massive budget. It it Mm -hmm. actually requires you to be more prescriptive and about what you're doing and why. And the benefits of that is this, if you do it well in two or three or four markets, then it's really easy after you get traction to roll that out to six, seven, eight markets. And then it's really easy for you to get up to 20. And then from 20 to go to national, isn't that big of a jump? Right. Um, And, and, and that's what we see happening over and over and over again. 
Well, you know, it's all about, you know, frankly, testing, classic A-B yeah. testing, classic different market, uh, yeah. you know, different positioning, messages, strategies. And, of course, you know, that's the advantage of, uh, of the wor digital world we live in. That's right. You know, but I, I will just leave this on one point because you made a very important point a few minutes ago is that, you know, what I have found, and you and I have talked about this a few times, is that you, we have such a wealth of data that gets generated in dashboards with digital mm -hmm. marketing. And there's now, you know, it used to be at the enterprise level. Now even small companies can yeah, download right. all kinds of tools that allow you to understand the performance of your, of your marketing tactics. But, you know, I think you can get into very easily an analysis by paralysis type of situation right. because, you know, you, you don't want a spreadsheet or a computer constructing your marketing campaigns. There has mm -hmm. to be the human element. And that's frankly where they've got, they've got guys like you, Jason, to, uh, Thanks, you know, to, to add that kind of um, that subjective uh, component to, uh, to developing marketing strategies. I mean, the, the, the analytics component is absolutely an important part. Again, I don't mean to uh, oh, put that perfect. down. Absolutely. But, you know, it just can't be, you know, it's not like you, you could put the uh, marketing strategy in autopilot and everything, you know, no. uh, it works out. But in any event, that's all we have time for today. Uh, Jason, thank you so much. I could talk Thanks, about Mark. this for the next three or four hours. How can we reach you at Odom? You're, give us your website uh, URL. And uh, if you want to put your, uh, your um, email out there, how can folks reach sure. out to you? So it's Odom.com, which is the word me too spelled backwards. So it's O O. Tem.com. Um, Odom is named after my dog, and um, <laughs> and then my email address is Jason at Odom O O T E M dot com. Great. Well, Jason, thank you um, to our audience. Thank you for That's listening smart. to today's podcast. Uh, please follow more insights and strategy on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Our usual usual sus uh, social media suspects, and you can you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes. Again, thanks for tuning in, and I wish everyone an enjoyable weekend.